0: My name is Mary Baker, and I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians 8 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Today's this last message in the series that we've been going over for the last five weeks. And I want to start with this. There's a guy that recently became internet famous for a hot minute uh, where uh, he posted a video of himself saying that tonight was going to be a special night for my wife. I was going to take her take her out, tried to do something special. And so he said, I decided to surprise my wife. And he videotapes himself doing this where he has two pieces of paper and on each piece of paper is something written. And what is on those pieces of paper was um, an activity that he was going to take his wife to go and do, but she didn't know which one it was. On one piece of paper, it said, uh, I cook dinner at home. And, uh, and on the other piece of paper, it said dinner at an exclusive uh, club. And so he goes up to his wife and he holds out the pieces of paper. She can't see them. And, and you see that she picks the one that says dinner at an exclusive club. And she's, she's like, oh, look at this, look at this. And she holds it up, you know, she's like dinner at an exclusive club. And then the very next scene in the video that he takes is of he and his wife sitting down and eating hot dogs at Costco. <laughs> it's true, right? Didn't lie. It's an exclusive club. You have to pay to be a part of it. There's a difference, though, between expectation and reality, though, isn't there? See, this is one of those things that, you know, it's just, it's so funny when you you see that because, yeah, no, the wife thought, oh, this is what we're going to go do. Her mind exclusive club meant something special, get dressed up and and go out. Uh, His idea of an exclusive club was a hot dog at at Costco. So why do I share that with you? When it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, when it comes to being a part of of his church, we have often different expectations. Like when you hear that we are the church of the living God, when you think about "I'm, I'm going to church, when you hear the words that I am a Christian, like what does that mean to you and what does that mean to me? When you think I'm becoming a member of Valley Center Community Church, like what is your understanding of what we're about as a church, what we believe God's word calls us to and what the church actually is? And, and, and see, it's because we come with a lot of different expectations that we have been taking time, taking a break from Luke and just focusing in on well, how do we understand god's purpose and god's plan for us as christians and as a church because the one thing we don't want is for you to be a part of valley center community church and have one expectation and we have a vastly different one you see we believe that god's word is abundantly clear in fact it's it's so clear that that it just it changes everything we believe that god has established his church to be a people who are on a mission You see, God created us in his image. He created us to live, to bring glory to him, to make much of him in every sphere of our life. Sin messed that up. Our rebellion against him made it so that we couldn't bear his image the way that we were designed to ultimately represent him to the world. See, see, we are creations. We're not the creator. We exist to make much of somebody else to give glory to another, not to ourselves. And, and so when Jesus Christ comes into the world, what's he coming into the world to do? Is he just saving us so that we don't go to hell? Is he saving us just to forgive us of our sins so we feel good about ourselves? No, he's saving us to redeem us, to restore us back to who we were created to be. And that requires the forgiveness of our sins. That requires the imputed right righteousness that that he gives to us. But all the work that Jesus does is for the glory of God to restore you and I to make much of him. And so that if you're a Christian, your life isn't about you, and then therefore church isn't about you, and it's not about you just simply feeling good and about you having all this kind of fulfillment and self-actualization. No, the church and why we exist is to glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the church is here this is why valley center is here everything that we do is because we're say we're here not to make much of ourselves but to make much of him and so the purpose of the church then is to help us live out our lives as those who have been redeemed who have been restored to be those image bears. that's why our mission statement says that we exist to glorify god by being and making disciples of jesus christ because it's in and through jesus christ following him being saved by him, that we can live the lives that we were made to live, and that every single person in the world is to hear this good news, which is why we go out and we make disciples. And so for the last few weeks, what we've said that is, if we're going to do this, if we're going to live as those who are living to his glory, if we've really become those, those restored image bearers of Jesus Christ, then, then there's going to be four things that we are going to engage in, four things that are going to be a part of our life and that the scriptures tell us that if you're a disciple of jesus it means that that we gather for corporate worship That, that one of the things that's foundational to living out our lives as those who glorify him is that we gather regularly for corporate worship that we come together to remind ourselves that our salvation is not an individualistic thing but we're brought into a community we gather together to remind ourselves that that we are made for another and not for ourselves so we set aside time to do that And because we are made to glorify him, we go into the world and we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news. That Jesus Christ saves and restores and and redeems humanity. And and that that as we look to to gather, as we look to go, we also know that there's this importance to grow. that, That when he saves us and redeems us, we have a lot to learn. And that day by day, year by year, we can become looking more and more like Jesus as we put to death the old self and we put on the new self because listen, uh, walking in this newness of life, it doesn't come naturally to us. And so, so we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to live out these lives that he's created us to live. And, and today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at, there's this fourth thing that we believe if we're gonna be and make disciples as a church, like the thing that leads and guides us is, is there's one more thing that I want us to consider. And the thing that I want us to consider is actually found in Acts chapter 2. We're going to end our series of messages where we began the series of messages in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to turn there because the thing about Acts is that it shows us what those first disciples of Jesus, well, not only that they understood the gospel, but, but how they understood living out their new lives in Jesus Christ. And, and so it's informative for us to see, well, how did these first followers of Jesus understand what it meant to be and make disciples? And when you come to Acts chapter 2, one of the things we understand is that they know that they need to go out and share the gospel because Peter's sharing the gospel with the lost. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says that after he shared the gospel in Jerusalem, 3,000 souls were saved. And then right after that, verse 42 says... And these 3,000 souls devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers." What's so unique when you look at this passage in Acts is we've talked about gathering, we've talked about growing, and we've talked about going. In Acts chapter 2 in verses 41 and 42, just in those two verses alone, we see the first disciples of Jesus engaged in going. We see them engaged in gathering as they met together and they broke the bread. We We see them engaged in growing because they were listening to the apostles teaching. But then, look at verse 43. It continues on. There's one more thing that we see in their lives. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being, what, saved. Along with them gathering, along with them going, along with them growing, in these verses, one of the things that the author of Acts makes abundantly clear is that These were a people who understood, a people who not only understood, but engaged in something else. They engaged in giving. Those first disciples gathered. Those first disciples grew. Those first disciples went out, but they also gave. Look at what we see them giving here. They gave of their time. They met together consistently. Literally, it says every day, serving one another as they did in their homes. We see them giving of their resources. They were people who sold their property, their their possessions, and for the purpose of what? Financially supporting others in the church. Now, this wasn't a commune. They weren't selling all of their possessions. It says they were selling their possessions as, as any had need. So they would sell their possessions in order to support one another. These people, the picture that you have of these first disciples, was they were absolutely givers. And that point is cemented when it says that when they gathered together, they would break bread, they would enjoy a meal together, and they would do it with glad and, did you see what it said? Generous hearts. He's literally, the author says it. He says they had generous hearts. These people were givers. And, and so what I want to tell you this morning, what I want us to consider is what we see in these first disciples Like I said, sometimes we see things in the book of Acts and we say, is it supposed to be true of us? And we're like, well, it was more descriptive than it was prescriptive. But here I wanna tell you that when we look at those first disciples, they show us something that was not only a part of their lives, but is a part of our lives if we are walking as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is that we give. We give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of our abilities in service to God and to his church. It's, It's who we are to be disciples of Jesus, as we live lives to, to his glory, one of the things that that means is that we are a people that give. Those first followers, for whatever reason, and I'm going to show you that reason in a minute, they, they, they understood that, that they were a people who should be responding to and supporting and giving of themselves to others in the church. And I'm here to say that it wasn't just something that God has for them, it's something that he has for us. And it leads, though, then to that natural, natural question, which is, I see that they're givers. I see that this is their pattern, but, but why are we givers, church? Why are disciples of Jesus Christ to be generous? Why are we to be a people who, who give and who don't just simply take? When you turn to the word of God, I want to show you, to begin with this morning, three reasons three reasons to start about why I believe, why we as elders believe that central to our fulfilling our mission to glorify God, we must be a people who give. And so to do that, I want you to turn over to the passage you heard read this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's just a few books over from the book of Acts. That's where we're going to start our journey in in this final element of what we believe it means to be and make disciples. Now, To understand the book of 1 Corinthians, you have to understand that it was written to a church in the city of Corinth. Um, This church that was there in the city of Corinth was very dear to the Apostle Paul. He spent significant time shepherding them, not only shepherding them, but he also spent significant time shepherding them through his, his writing. They were a church that lived in a vastly pagan and worldly city. And so those first believers that were there in Corinth were people who were literally brought out of darkness and, and what you'd call the antithesis of Christian ethics and Christian values. And they come to know Jesus Christ. And so, so they're trying to figure out what does it mean to, to grow? What does it mean to live out my new life in Christ? And so, so he writes 1 Corinthians to help them. Then he writes this book 2 Corinthians to, to help them. And when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he does something. He, he wants to 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 tell them, listen, there's one area in your life where, where you need some more growth. There's one area in your life where you're not fully living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it starts with these words in verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now what's this grace of God that has been been given? He doesn't call it out just specifically just yet, but what it is was a financial um, support given by the churches in Macedonia to, to other churches. And so so this is what he's talking about. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He's saying there's this church in Macedonia that they've been "'financially supporting the work of the ministry,' verse 3, "'for they gave according to their means,' as I can testify, "'and beyond their means of their own accord, "'begging us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. "'And this, not as we expected, "'but they gave themselves first to the Lord, "'and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, that as he had started, "'so he should complete among you this act of grace.'" So Paul's writing to a church, and he says, hey, there are these churches in Macedonia, and he's like, I want you to let you know. Although they were, they were poor, they, they took up and they, they collected their financial resources, and they were giving it to these, to these saints who, who, had, who had need. And, and so we're like, okay, great, Paul. Why are you telling us about that church? Well, he comes and he tells us in verse 7. Look at it. But as you now excel in everything, church in Corinth, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you... See that you excel in this act of grace also. Just as the churches in Macedonia have have been giving in support of the work of the ministry, so now too, church in Corinth, you're, you're doing a really good job in a lot of different areas here, but I want to encourage you that you should be a church and you should be a people who also are giving. Now, why would a person like Paul have to encourage a church like that to give unless they were what? Not, thank you, giving. Okay, that was not a trick question. And so, 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 so he sees them living out their faith in a lot of areas, but in this one area, they're not giving. And look at verse 8. He says, I say this not as a what? Command. Now that's going to be important. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is Genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Church, what has Paul just done here? He comes to these believers in Corinth and he says to them, I want to encourage you that as followers of Jesus, you should be a people. give and he starts by saying I'm not giving this to you as a command now he could have commanded them but he's saying I don't have a need to do that because why why well look at what the text says but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine Paul is tying the love and that he's speaking about here the love of Jesus Christ for them, to their act of giving. If earlier, he says, if, you, if you've known the love of Christ, if you've experienced his, his love, like I don't have to command you to be a giver. Giving is something that you should just what? Do. Because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich for your sake, he became what according to the text? Poor. It, what, what Paul is saying here, the very first reason why we are givers, I'm going to say it, then we're going to break this down a little bit, is we have received from Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, never-ending riches that we did not deserve. Why are we givers? Because we're a people who've received from Jesus never-ending riches that we did not deserve. We are a people who have encountered grace through Jesus Christ, who though, although for, though he was rich, for our sake became poor so that we might get what? His riches. And so he's saying, I'm calling you to to be givers like the churches in Macedonia, and I'm not commanding you to do it because it should be blatantly obvious to you. I don't have to command this of you. If you have been a people who have received this abundance from Jesus, it should overflow. If you know this kind of love, in your own life in all that he's done for you like how how could you be a people that would hold back anything you, you know there's again the internet is an amazing thing and the things that you can find if you were to, to google into the internet uh, signs that state the obvious okay uh, here's what you'd find I want to show you one of these one of these pictures uh, uh, caution fire is hot Yeah, thank you. Let's look at this next one here. Uh, This product (laughs) contains peanuts. Church, what's that a picture of? Peanuts. This is at a grocery store. Do we really think this is necessary? Maybe it is. Pizza Hut. We have pizza. (laughs) These are signs that state the obvious. We laugh at this. Paul says, you should laugh at what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to be a people who give. I don't have to command you to it because it should be obvious to you. You have received stuff that you did not deserve. You've received these never-ending riches from Jesus. And, and so why are we, like me even encouraging you to give to other churches, me encouraging you to give financially, it's like it's, it should just be obvious. In fact, Peter picks it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses three through five. Why are we givers? Well, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has, who has? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's incredible. You've gone from death to life. That's wholesale change. But also to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise God. Amen. Do you see what Peter says you've received? You have come to know Jesus and therefore entered into an inheritance. And look at the three words that he uses to describe this inheritance. It's so spectacular, the never-ending riches you've received, it's so spectacular that he has to use three negative words. He's not just a a preacher building off of synonyms trying to to, state the same thing over and over again. Look at. he says this inheritance we have, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Each one of these is nuanced. Each one of these is different. When you think about imperishable, it means it's not able to be destroyed. When you think about undefiled, it means it's not polluted. It's, it's, it's not something that's corrupted. It's unfading, which means it's not subject to decay. This is what you have from Jesus, this inheritance through him. These are never-ending riches. And we have it in abundance. And we're going to have it Forever. And so Paul would then write to the church in Ephesus something similar. You'd see, blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. To be a Christian is to be someone who has encountered Jesus Christ and received all that you don't deserve, never ending riches. And so Paul says, why are we givers? Why am I calling you to give? It should be obvious to you. Don't you see? You have riches beyond measure through Jesus Christ. And, and so, so generosity is just something that flows out of us. In fact, when I think about the inheritance that Peter says here, what we need to think about as Christians is this. The fact that the riches we have are never-ending, they're imperishable, uncorruptible, they're, they're undefiled, means that whenever and whatever you give, You'll never experience loss if you have never-ending riches anything you put out is filled right back up now you might be saying it's like if I give out financially that money's money's gone Here, here's the deal it's that's not the riches that we have that that's just a a manifestation as you give that away it that those riches pale in comparison the the streets of heaven are said to be paved with what gold The 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 most precious metal on earth in God's economy is the stuff that we walk on in heaven. (laughs) Do you see what he's saying? He's like, don't focus on the material because that that at the end of the day, listen, it's we have all that we need. In fact. As I was thinking about this and and looking at this, going back to the book of Acts, it says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. When I saw that phrase, I thought these were people who got it. They had generous hearts. Why? Because they knew what they had received. And when you experience the saving work of Jesus Christ, when you experience his grace, it creates in you glad and generous hearts. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, it, it... if if you do not have a glad and generous heart based upon the truth of what we see here it means either you think you contributed something to your salvation or you don't know the magnitude of Jesus Christ's work for you because paul says we know the grace of god We know the grace of Jesus Christ. And one of my favorite New Testament stories that illustrates this and what it means to to know experientially the grace of Jesus Christ and then that actually works out in a physical, tangible way is a story in Luke chapter 19. And you can turn here and look at it later. The story of a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Do you remember that story? In, In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is going and he's, spreading the message of the kingdom, and as he's Going past Jericho, he enters into the city, and there's a man named Zacchaeus in Jericho. And what's unique about Zacchaeus, he was a Jew, but he was a tax collector, which means he was an enemy of his own people, because he collected, he collected money from his own people to give to the occupying army, the Romans. And people hated tax collectors because they had the backing of the Roman Empire. And they would go to you and they would say, the taxes that you owe are such and such. And a typical tax collector would charge you more in taxes than what you actually owed. And they would do that, and you would not try and fight against them because who was backing them up? The Romans. You didn't want to question them. And so this was Zacchaeus. So so people hated the tax collectors, and when Jesus came through, Zacchaeus was a small guy, and the crowds wouldn't let him get to Jesus, so he climbs up in a, anyone? Sycamore. Sycamore tree. Thank you. You know the song and the story. And he's in that sycamore tree, and as Jesus passes by, Jesus looks up in the tree, sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus... You come down and I'm going to your house today. And what's this story about? I don't have time to get into the fullness, but what Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I'm encountering your life. I'm coming to to you. You're going to experience my grace because people like Zacchaeus didn't have rabbis come to them because they were viewed as as those who were unclean, enemies of the people of God. Yet Jesus comes to him, and Zacchaeus knows what this means. And in verse 8, it says this, and Zacchaeus, after encountering Jesus, said to the Lord... Notice it says that he doesn't say it to Jesus. He says to the Lord because he realizes who he is. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What's going on in that story? Jesus doesn't say that Zacchaeus is saved because he gave things away. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying Zacchaeus experienced the salvation. He experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus for who he was. And when he accepted Jesus for who he was, Zacchaeus says, I'm giving away half of everything. And if I've defrauded anybody, I'm giving them back fourfold. That is a man who is showing us that when you know the grace and the never-ending riches you've received from Jesus, you're a person who doesn't keep, but you're a person who, what? Gives. You're a person who gives. And so when The author of Acts tells us that those first disciples were givers. It was because they were people who knew grace. When Paul calls the Corinthian church to give, he calls them to give not as a command, but because those who know the generosity of Jesus, give. But then there's something else. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We looked at this before. We give not just because of what we've received, but because of who we are. We have been made ambassadors of Jesus Christ. It is our identity. It's our identity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Listen, because of who we are, we've been made ambassadors, those who reflect Jesus Christ. It is our identity. We don't just give because of what we received, it's because of who we are. Jesus Christ is a giver. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, he is just given and given and given and given. And if we were made to reflect his image in the world, how can I be anything but a giver? That I would live that life. And listen, that's exactly what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of, of others, that your love is genuine if you know Christ's love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. You know what He says. The rich became poor for your sake. So we look to do the same. I don't have time to go there in its fullness, but all you got to do is look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, you should have the same mind among yourselves that's yours in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, did not account equality of God with a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing. Jesus gave of himself. Why? So that he could restore, so that he could redeem Look at the mirror, look in it and say, I am a reflection of Jesus Christ. And part of what it means for me to be his ambassador is I am someone whose identity is that of a giver. I'm marked by that. It would be, you know, the way that I think about it is this. It's our identity. Imagine Hannah and I on our wedding day uh, all those years ago, and we go to the ceremony and, and then we have the reception afterwards. We, we, we make the public profession and the covenant before one another, and then at the very end of the reception, um, as, as the night comes to a close, I go over to Hannah and I, I kiss her on the forehead and I say, Good night, I'll see you when I see you, and I go back and I go to live in my parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> you would look at me and you say, What is wrong with that man? What's wrong with me is that. I had just had a wedding ceremony, I had just made a covenant before God and others that we were gonna become husband and wife. The two shall become what? One, I have a new identity. I'm not a single man anymore, I'm a married man. And so to kiss my wife on the head and say, you live your life, I'm gonna go home and live my life, you're gonna say, that's, that's, what are you talking about? That's not representing who you are, you're a, you're a husband now. And so it should be a foreign concept to us to look and to know Jesus in the way that we know Jesus and, and to not think of ourselves as those who are givers because we're looking to display the new identity that we have in him. Why do we give? Why were those first followers of Jesus Christ givers? It's because they knew the riches they had received through Jesus. They knew that they were called to, to be his ambassadors, and, and if he's a giver, then I'm a giver. But there's this final reason, and, and that is we as Christians, we know that what we have is not ours. Everything belongs to God. Can I get an amen to that one? <laughs> what we know above all people is that we are the creatures and He is the creator, and everything in this world belongs to Him. Everything. Even when it's in quote unquote our possession. See, Psalm 24, verse 1 says this like, great Psalm The earth is the Lord's. Okay. All right, so you own the property, Jesus. I I get that. The earth is yours. Oh, but wait. And the fullness thereof. In case you're wondering, he just doesn't own the property. He owns everything that's a part, the fullness, everything that dwells within it, the world and those that dwell therein. In case you think that some part of this creation belongs to you or to someone else, God's word says, hands off. It's all his. His. And he never relinquished control. In fact, when David was looking to dedicate the construction of the temple, he wasn't allowed to build the temple in Jerusalem. His son would do it. But he prayed a prayer of dedication over its construction. And he said this in First Chronicles 29.10. He blessed it, and he said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. I love that. That just fits with what we've been saying. We exist to glorify God, and David calls it. Then look down at verse 12. Look at what he says. Both riches and honor come from who? You. You. And you rule over all and in your hand are power and might And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly For all things come from you and of (laughs) your own we have given you. you Do you see that? David is saying, we're giving to you these things in order to make a temple for your name. But where did we get the things that we gave back to you? They were yours to begin with. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is what? All your own. So when we look to give, are we giving anything that actually was ours to begin with? No, when you look at God's word, (laughs) it says this, everything belongs to God, anything we have is because God put it in our care, and while it is in our care, it still belongs to him, and although it is in our care, it is still to be used for his glory. This is what the scriptures say time and time again, as the people of God, we look at this and we say, amen, amen, there's freedom in this. This is why I am able to give. Because my perception of everything I have is this. We are stewards. We are not owners. We're stewards, not owners. A steward is given things in order to care and take and provide. But a steward is not an owner of the things that they have. It belongs to someone else. Church family... We are givers because we know. See, we're givers and free to give because we know that what we have, it's not even ours. And so when I give anything away, it was never mine to begin with. There are two great lies that Satan has tried to foist upon the world. The first lie is this. What you have is actually yours. This is what we have been taught and believe. The second thing is, what you have is because you work for it. The first lie is what you have is actually yours, and we say it's not mine. I'm a steward. I'm not an owner. The second lie is that what you have is because you worked for it. And you say, but wait, Dave, I do work. I work hard, and and I get compensated for the work that I do. Absolutely, but, but listen very carefully to me. The only reason why you're able to receive anything, the only reason why you're able to, to work is because God has given you everything necessary for the work you're able to do. Amen. When you make an investment in something and, and your investment goes up and somebody else goes down, it's not because you're smarter. And you might say, well, hey, well, I studied, I looked, I know this. He's like, no. How proud and arrogant of people we are to think that the wealth that we have is because of who we are. I always get passionate about this because the pride that exists in the human soul, it fails to give God glory. And the moment we look at what we have and say, it's because of who I am, is the moment that we've taken glory away from God and we've given it to ourselves. Do you know how many things in your life had to go right in order for you to have anything that you have? To be born where you were born, to meet who you met Did you create those opportunities? God did. And that's why David says, when we give back to you, it's because it was already yours. David had the most freeing perception on all of life and our stuff that you could possibly ever have. It all belongs to him. We're givers because it's all his to begin with. It's why God in his kindness for the nation of Israel he knew our hearts. And who, who conquered the land to give Israel the place that they would call home? Was it by their hand that they accomplished it? It was by the hand of God. And he said, you're going to get into the land, and you're going to experience abundance and crops and harvest and all those things, and, and you're going to be prone to look at everything that you have, he said, and you're going to say, look at what we've done. And so you know what God did for the people the old testament to help guard their hearts from believing those two lies he actually commanded his people in the old testament that they were to give a tenth of what they had before they they spent anything on themselves when the harvest came in immediately the first 10 percent of the harvest that they gave they were supposed to give back to the lord And and God had them do that as a reminder to their soul that anything that they took in was not theirs, but it belonged to God. That anything that they had came from His abundance for them. And and so they gave a tenth in the Old Testament. And I've always thought, like, I was like, man, you know, giving a tenth of of our finances, of our income, like, man, that that can seem like a lot. Until you remember, what if somebody came to you and said, I have this vast estate, and here's the deal— I would like you to manage my estate. Every year you get to keep 90% of everything that you experience, and all I want you to do is give me 10% of it. If you were given that deal, would you take it? I would. (laughs) Are you telling me you're going to give me all of this stuff, and all I have to do is give back to you 10%, but I get to keep 90% of this thing? That's what God did for his people, which is why in Malachi, let me read these words. This is Malachi chapter 3. He says, Will man rob God? God's calling his people they were holding back some of that 10% and he says you've lost sight of this I gave this to you as a goodness and, and, and you're you're holding this back and he says this is this is wrong because it's all mine you're robbing me giving is important to God because because God understands and as he's designed us it when we give we understand the grace that we have received we understand who we are we understand that it all belongs to him This is why, church, we are givers. And in answer to the question, what is it that we give? Well, we've been talking about finances, but we give of what we've been given. That's why as a church we say we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures. We we give of our abilities, we give of our time, because that's what the the people of God. All that we have belongs to him, and so we give it back to him. Romans chapter 12 says, I I urge you brothers in view of the mercy of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifices. We're people who give of what we've received. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, we do see God setting aside and saying, hey, here's a tithe. You should be giving 10% of your financial resources. But they also gave a lot of their time. Every Sabbath day was a day set aside to who? The Lord. How many Sabbath days are there in a year? Anyone? Anyone? 52 way to way to pay attention here we go so 52 all right that's uh so so there was time that was set aside we are people who who give now now this is gonna lead to one final question and and i'm gonna i'm gonna land with this and 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 i want you to just stay with me because i think this is so important you just heard me talking about the old testament and what they give and 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 i'm going to talk about for just finances for a minute because i think number one the bible talks about it the most in relationship to the things that we give and i've found that when when we look at our physical resources and we think about them rightly that impacts how we use all of our other things and so how much do we give what 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 is it is there there a number how how do i know if i'm being generous i'll share with you a story and then i'm gonna i'm gonna close with these two principles um Back in January, somebody came to me, uh, a, a dear friend and brother in the church. And he came to me and he asked me a question. He said, said Dave, I'd like to meet with you. I want to I talk. Um, I'd like you to, if you could, offer me some counsel on my giving. Now, I fell to the floor, and then I picked myself back up. Because in the 20 years of ministry, no one has ever come to me and sought counsel for that specific area. I said, I said, I um, you know basically i was like Could you say that into my good ear well what, what did you have what are you asking and he, he said "No, I, i'd like you to to help me think about my giving and so he told me his story he said you know a number of years ago i started making some significant money and, and i grew up in the church i knew that i should always be be giving but you know life kind of got ahead of me and things uh, persisted and and so I kind of got to this place where I was just trying to take care of day-to-day life and I started making some more money and he says Dave I don't know how much you make I don't want you to feel bad but it was definitely more than what you make I said thanks a lot appreciate that <clears throat> and he said he said but I found that I really wasn't giving and, and I realized I need to start doing something so I started giving financially Uh, To the church he he says it wasn't fully regularly and then I was a little bit more convicted and I said he said You know, I had this understanding of like a a 10% so he said I started trying to give 10% And then he said to me something happened He said I started giving a number of years ago 10% of what I was bringing in and, and he said Ever since then, year after year, in my company, I've made more money than I've, than I've ever made. And I stopped him right there. And I said, okay, now listen, you know there's not like a one-to-one correlation here, right? We're not about like health, wealth, and prosperity. And, uh, and he said, no, 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 I get that. But he says, here's why. So I said, why are you asking for help here? He said, well, here's the thing. I'm making more money than I've ever made. And I'm trying to give to the Lord. But I have a question. Like, am I actually being generous? He said because I'm at a point where even giving 10% it doesn't impact my lifestyle at all. I don't I can still do whatever I I want. I'm not constricted in what I'm doing. And and first off like you, uh, can you imagine how blown away at, like somebody coming with that perspective saying I don't want to just simply give what I understand to be like this 10% I, like that's a benchmark for me but am I actually Am I a giver? Am I somebody who's reflecting who I am? And so I said, well, let's, let's just then talk for a minute. And I shared with him the two principles I want to share with you. The first thing that I said was, well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become what? Rich, And I said to this friend, I said, okay, here's kind of principle number one, at least I see. It's not a specific 10% number in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the minimum was like 10%. And so what does God do? He says, it's all of grace which determines what you do. And I said to him this, I said, our giving should reflect the, the sacrifice and generosity of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's calling the church in Corinth to do. He doesn't say, match the Macedonian's giving. He doesn't say give more or less than what's in the Old Testament. He says our understanding of what it means to be a giver should be driven by does your giving reflect the sacrifice and generosity of Jesus Christ? And when this guy came to me, I I said, can I share something with you? And I'm going to share with you what I shared with him. I said, you know, we just did our member survey for the church, and it's the end of the year, and we were looking at statistics in the church. And I told him, I said, here's why this principle is so important. And why it's not just about a specific number. Whether it's in your finances or in how you use your time. I said, when we look at our church, do you know that church? And I told them these numbers. Because I just looked at it. Because as I was preparing for this series of messages. I said, we have 153 member households. Not members. We have 153 member households that are here in the church. In 2023, of our member households, 133 of those households gave something financially to the church. Uh, 153, or 33 gave something that was recorded. Maybe more gave, but it wasn't recorded um, because we didn't have a check or something like that or they didn't fill out an envelope. That's okay. But, but so, so that's what our church looked like from that level. And I said, now here's something interesting. Here's why you gotta be careful about numbers. I said 45% or 69 member households at Valley Center Community Church Gave 90% of all finances given to the general fund in the last year. 69 families gave 90% of all finances given in, in the last year. And I said, on average, those 69 families gave about $900 a month. And so there were 69 families that on average gave about $900 a month. That means that those other families that represent the rest, it, so it's like 84 households, they gave about $90 a month. And so I shared this with my friend, and I said, I said, you know, you ask me, like, what does it look like to be generous? I said, I, I'm not going to even say, like, I'm showing you this because I showed this. So I'm an equal opportunity pastor here, right? I show everybody the same things here. And I said, so now here's the deal. You could look at this. And you can see that there's a huge gap. There is, but we gotta be careful to say, well, those ninety, those who give ninety dollars a month, should be giving as much as the ones who give nine hundred dollars a month. You gotta be careful to say that because Jesus literally gave a parable about a widow who came into the temple, and she gave. This. This is actually a widow's mite It's literally. The value of this in Jesus' day was one-eighth of a cent today. So one-eighth of a penny. And it said, Jesus said, the woman who gave this gave more than the man who gave much. Because it's not about a number, it's about The life that that widow had and how much she actually had, she was being generous because for her, giving one-eighth of a penny was a significant amount. It represented the generosity and sacrifice of Jesus. And so what I told my friend is this. I I said, I know you're in the other category. I said, but whether you give $900 a month to the church or $90 a month to the church, the question is the same for both groups. Does my giving reflect that i understand the generosity and sacrifice of jesus christ are you tracking with me so it's not just purely about numbers and so i gave that to my friend said, that's where you need to just start the second principle though that builds off of that is this principle and it's very simply this our giving should display that we no longer live for ourselves but for him That how we use our finances should put on display that we don't live for ourselves, but we live for for him. Because when you come to the Old Testament and you look at what God did for the people of God, I've used this illustration, but because there's about 150 of you more than the last time I used this illustration, I'm gonna use it again, so bear with me. When we think about... Our lives in Christ and all that God has given to us. Do you guys know what these things are? Magnetiles, yeah. Everything that we have belongs to who? Let's try that one more time. See, we're, we're almost done here. Everything that we have belongs to who? God, right? All right. And all of it's supposed to be used for What? his glory. Now now imagine that this is everything that you've received and and in a given month you 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 know God has 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 provided for you financially and and the typical response of our lives is this. I got to make sure that I that I Pay my pay my mortgage, you gotta make sure that I pay my car, we got the got the cell phones, we got the, the hobbies, you know, oh there's well there's there's food and gas today. No, okay, inflation, right? You know, with food and gas, right? And and so so we take these things, all all that we have, and, and we say, well my kids got, got their activities, and we got the vacation we got to do, and, and then oh, you know what, all uh, oh, the kids need braces and all oh, that should be more than that or whatever, and then and then typically we come and we say, Okay, what's left? Okay, God, I got this left. Here's what you get. Now, I want to ask a question. Is that mindset of giving, a giving that reflects that I no longer live for myself, but I live for him? Is is that giving reflective versus, can you see why God in the Old Testament said, before you start living for yourself, he says, I want you to take this portion and set it aside for me just right off the top. And, And so... For us, the principle remains the same today. It's not such a number, but when I look at my life, if this is all of his, do I simply say, well, I'm gonna take care of all my needs and then I'm gonna get to God? Or do I say, God, what is it that would reveal to my heart and to the world that I don't live for myself, but I live for you? What if giving to you would represent that I understand your sacrifice and generosity? Because church family, if I can say it this simply, our God is not to be tipped. Our God is to be worshipped. And, and so this is our understanding as a church because when we look at our lives, it's not about a number. It's all about your life reflecting who you are. It's not about a number. It's reflecting my life. To say what I said at the very first message, we exist Every part of us, everything that we have to glorify God, including our finances, including our time, including our giftings and abilities, it's all to make much of him. And so the whole point of what we're doing here is that this is the life that you were created to have. May God help us as recipients of his grace to live out and to shine as lights in the world in all areas of our lives that we are not a people about us, but we're a people about him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's so much here in, in one sense to take in, but Lord, that's why we have your spirit. It is you who uses your word and it is you who uses Lord, the preaching of your word and the community of the saints to help us process and to consider all that you are and all that you've done and then how we go out, Lord, and we live in light of those things. And so we thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to have different expectations. We don't have to live in a different reality. We know, Lord, what your word calls us to. We know who you are. We know that the purpose of our lives is to make much of you as we live and being and making disciples and so valley center community church lord may it be known by your grace and your mercy as a place in which god is lifted up that christ is exalted as lord and savior of all to the praise and glory of your name we ask it and all god's people said amen amen